Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. On this week's show, we're revisiting a chat I had in October last year with Bailey Richardson, co-author of Get Together, a book that tells you everything you need to know about fostering community. We know that community is so important to maintain and nurture at a time like this. So we decided to revisit this interview with Bailey. We've re-edited the original interview with some insights and stories that you won't have heard the first time round. And we also caught up with Bailey again yesterday to find out how she's been getting on since and to see if she and her cohorts at People & Company, a coaching organisation that helps companies and groups harness the power of community, have any advice for people in the current climate. We hope you get some value from it. When we chatted last October, I asked Bailey about the work that they do at People & Company and why community is just so important to them. Here's what she had to say. So People & Company in many ways is, is three people who really love each other, feel like we have a very high values overlap and are trying, hoping, aspiring to answer a question which is what does it take to build a community? It's something that although a community feels magical when it shows up in your life, it doesn't come together by magic. And what we've done is sort of seen a community almost like a fire. You know, once you end up with a fire, it's sort of this metaphysical, beautiful thing. But there is a very clear order of operations of what you do first to get a fire started and how you progress from there. So we've broken it up into nine steps and just published a book uh, called Get Together with all of those nine steps broken out. Yeah, I mean, your ethos sounds incredible and what an, you know, an amazing mission statement for a company to have to be all about bringing people together. But can you elaborate a little bit for our audience about how exactly you guys work and, and what exactly are the services that you offer? Yeah, absolutely. So we really see ourselves the best way for, to do this work. When we first formed People & Company, we approached our work with clients as a very like deep embedded relationship. And I think the hunch we had was that because of all of our backgrounds, a lot of people almost wanted us to come in and sort of do the work for them. And we realized, you know, about a year in, year and a half in, that the best thing we could do was actually build capacity within an organization for people to do this themselves. Ultimately, community building is about developing leaders, whether you're building an online community, an offline community. Mm -hmm. It's about building relationships and developing people who are very passionate about your mission and about your purpose. And it just doesn't make sense for us as an external third party to come in and own those relationships. What makes sense is for us to help people establish their strategy and then start to realize it by coaching and working with the people who do the work inside each organization. So we really call ourselves coaches, almost teachers. Now we come in and spend two very deep days with any client where we get really clear on the investment, on who they're investing in, why they're investing in them. We bring in community members to get their input, to interview them, to learn from them. And then we start to work on designing what exactly that company needs to invest in next, given the state of their community and their goals. So we do a very deep dive and then we're on board with them as partners as they begin to realize the work. So the two things that I really see us doing are 
helping people have the clarity about how to make smarter bets with community building. I think a lot of people know that having a community would be great for their business and they have millions of ideas, but they just don't know how to prioritize them. So we come in and really help people do that. And then, you know, we're there to tweak, adjust, talk through the tactics as their teams build the capacity to do this themselves. So that clarity piece and then that capacity piece is how we really focus our services. So have you guys ever come across a potential client that you've had to decide not to work with because just for whatever reason, you don't actually think that they could build a meaningful community around their brand? Yeah, I think one of the biggest signals is that we look for, like I said, is is mostly if people are willing and able to give up control. So that's that's been the biggest block for us is just realizing, you know, this is this organization is not designed in a way that will allow them to truly collaborate with people on the outside. But if there's one thing that I have to say has surprised me about, you know, over the last five years, my business partners and I have interviewed, worked with hundreds of different communities you know, we have interviewed a squirrel census in from Atlanta. Like there are is a community of potheads around this crock pot in a, that it was developed in America called the Instant Pot. There are people who started a cloud appreciation society. Like I said, fairly um, sort of enterprise oriented software companies like Notion have super fans. So I, I think one of the beauties of the Internet is that it has helped uh, prove that if you have a passion that you care about, at the very least, there's probably some other folks out there who care about it. Is it going to grow to be millions of people? I don't, I don't know. But I do think just if you feel like you have something, a purpose that's resonant with you, there is a good likelihood that there are other people out there who might also care. I just think that purpose piece is important. You know, if you're building a business that's ultimately about you getting the biggest return and not so much about truly creating value for a customer or a user, that will probably take precedent over the purpose, over the user experience. And that's, I think, can be a challenge for if people just want some some vibrant, thriving community, but they haven't done the work to truly create a compelling purpose or create value in their product. I was very compelled on your your own website to see the squirrel one that you mentioned (laughs) and also the fact that you do do pro bono services Mm -hmm. in addition to corporate clients. And I love that because it seems to go back to your sort of original mission statement and where you come from personally of wanting to to foster community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, for us, I really believe that the more people who get people together, the better our personal, our personal lives will be more meaningful and fulfilled. And I also think our civic societies, especially democratic societies, will be more engaged. I also think there's a lot of potential for businesses who have engaged people to grow faster or grow in a more ethical way or grow in a more informed way. So I feel like this unit of people developing communities, it's something I do do professionally, but I really believe in it from a personal, social to professional level. It sort of hits on all those points for me. And I know my business partners feel that way as well. And frankly, I think that businesses have a lot to learn 
from people who are doing this in a very grassroots way, there's a playfulness, a creativity, an instinctive nature that these very grassroots organizers bring to the design of their events, bring to their communication. Um, There's a joyfulness to it that Mm. I think businesses sometimes default into pretty professional language or highly strategic decisions. And so I feel like there's a lot of creative inspiration that we can take from things like the Star Wars fan club or, like you said, the the squirrel census <laughs> or a community for Asian American women looking for connection. And so I think there are things that businesses can learn from these grassroots groups. And I also think there are things that these grassroots groups can learn from businesses. One thing in particular just being businesses have this dreaminess to them. You know, they they when we enter into a business setting, we want to grow. We want to get big and reach many people. And I think that businesses have this natural instinct to scale and to think about how to templatize things and to pass it. And I I feel like there are many grassroots communities that we have interviewed, like the Squirrel Census, or, you know, we have a, a, a a community in our book called Downtown Girls Basketball, which is a team that's specifically for women who are bad at basketball. And I often feel like, wow, it would be great if those people expanded the model and, you know, took it to new cities, took it to new places, because it's just such a positive thing for the world. But I I, I think that that's something that, you know, a business mindset is, is really great at and can inspire grassroots groups with as well. So to, aside from the personal stories in the book, I think it's probably important at this point for our audience to kind of let them know that it is actually very much a how-to yes, and how to build a community. So how have you gone about condensing all of these kind of quirky and some of them very individual or personal stories into such a practically applicable resource? Yeah. Well, I would say that there is no magic way to do that outside of time and drafting and redrafting and hard conversations. Much of what our original sketch of what key points we needed to make in this book were originally formed by a framework that we developed to educate our clients on what the heck we mean when we talk about how to build a community. There's just so much ambiguity in the space that we felt like with each client, we needed to show them what we meant about the investments that it takes to take a community from nothing to you know a global chapter community or something that reaches people all around the world. So we would present this sort of like multi-step framework we had developed when we started with any any client. And we use our existing research and our personal experiences to create that framework. And then as we began to write, we made an aggressive effort to speak to tons more people. So this is also part of, you know, why we do pro bono work is... It doesn't just help the world, it also helps us get smarter. So one way in particular we've met tons of communities is my business partner, Kevin, has coached over 100 communities this year. He at one point 
took a meeting once a day, once a week. Um, so five meetings a week for an hour with a different grassroots community. And I think some of that comes from him. He went to Berkeley and got an undergrad mechanical engineering degree, graduated at the top of his class, and then got a master's degree in mechanical engineering. So he brings this very structure, process, precision, brain, logic brain to thinking about people. And that has really, he, his brain in particular, has just really helped us um, kind of kind of build these step-by-step frameworks, pressure test them, and make sure that we have a ton of clarity and certainty in what we are recommending to people at any stage of building a community. Brilliant. And to go back specifically to our audience, yeah. they're predominantly internet-first or tech-based companies. So if you had one piece of advice from the book that you could give to companies like this, what would it be? Yeah, the difference about investing in a community versus other things you might do is that investing in a community is about building with people, not for them. Traditionally, people have used this term community management. And in our opinion, building a community is not about management. It is about developing leaders. And it's really about finding these people who care and understanding their motivations and how you might collaborate with one another and eventually turning them into leaders. I think the the thing that I've seen across internet companies, in particular platforms, things from, you know, online marketplaces to creative social media platforms that I always find myself wanting to underscore to people is the power of role modeling behavior. When I began to research other online communities, I I spoke to the first community manager at YouTube, at SoundCloud, at Medium. I just spoke to community manager at Twitch. I've spoken to Notion. I've, I've really tried to learn as much as I can about different online communities and how they function. Almost universally, people put exceptional contributions, exceptional users, exceptional customers up on a platform, up on a pedestal so that other people can see what good behavior looks like or what success looks like. And that's something that happens across community building in all stripes. But if you don't do that, if you don't differentiate and create standards or aspirational use cases, people are left to guess. And I've just found that that piece is is so, so important. Um, it's finding people that are really exceptional and, and making them into role models. Um, so I'll say that. And I think just the final thing is some software, some internet companies are themselves a communication platform and some are not. And it is really important as an organizer, if you do have passionate people, to figure out a way that they can speak to each other directly, independent of you. You are not the bottleneck. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but... 
For every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Some great advice there from our original conversation with Bailey last year. We got in touch with her again this week to find out what she's been doing since the launch of her book and to delve into why, now more than ever, online community is a powerful social and working tool. So Bailey, thanks so much for agreeing to chat with me again and at such short notice. We last chatted in October when you just released your book, Get Together. Can you catch us up on what you've been up to since? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been so fun publishing a book, I have to say. You kind of, we wrote this book as something that we personally care so much about. You know, I've spent five years, six years of my life researching communities, interviewing people, and thinking hard about it. And it felt like by publishing this book, we really like poked the world. And now the world is kind of coming back to us. So it's just been neat seeing all the different people that end up with the book in their hands and how they're using it. Everything from the Parks Commission in Canada, to uh, surfer activist communities, to communities who are destigmatizing how women talk about their bodies, all sorts of different groups have just sort of knocked on our door. And we've been really focusing on, as a company, as people in company, how we not just have a book that has the sort of information for people about that they can take into their lives about how to community build, but also just being more of coaches and teachers. So we've been on the road a lot, bringing the learnings in the book to life and building between organizations and their actual community members live in rooms. So sort of orchestrating exercises and ways for people to really apply the book and its teachings to their organizations. That sounds like an amazing couple of months and a wonderful selection of experiences. Yeah. So only a few months have passed since our last chat, but I feel like a lot has changed quite recently in terms of fostering online community. So Going forward, do you think this is going to be more important than ever for businesses and social groups? Yeah, certainly right now it is. I think there is one constraint that everybody, nearly everyone on planet Earth is looking at right now, which is don't gather in big groups. Mm. Some places don't meet in person with more than 10 people, stay six feet away from one another. And that's a pretty large constraint for any, any person who's gathering groups of people or cares about the culture of those groups. 
And so I think what we have to do, at least for the short term, you know, I don't have, I'm not the expert on the timelines of how COVID-19 may or may not be overcome, but in the immediate future, we need to start thinking about if we can't rely on the magic of being together physically in person, how can we bring some creativity into how we do that over our communication channels or live online to kind of, you know, stopgap that. And some part of me is really excited about that because I sometimes think digital community builders feel like people who are sort of, uh, you know, nerding out on this topic in the corner And now I'm seeing all sorts of people sharing interesting, creative ways that they're getting groups together online. And I hope that when we emerge from this COVID-19 time period of extreme shelter in place and people really not being able to spend time together, we might carry some of these lessons that we're all learning in a very experiential way into that next phase of our digital lives. That's a lovely way of looking at it. And one thing I really took from your book the first time around when we spoke was um, the wonderful and really rich online communities mm. that you had found. Um, and the fact that to be intimate with people and connected with people, you don't have to be in a room with them. It can be a shared interest or hobby or a shared person. You know, there's any myriad amount of reasons why you could have community with people and it doesn't need to be around geography. Yeah, absolutely. I think, in fact, that's been the real big change of community building in the last 20 years is maybe the things that you care about, you don't have someone very close to you who's gone through that experience, whether it's, you know, one of my friends recently had a miscarriage and she says the most meaningful Facebook group she's ever been a part of is a global community of women who have been through that. And that may be something that you're not normally comfortable talking to other people about in your local community or in your private life. But the internet has sort of broken down those geographic barriers. And we've seen people be able to express themselves and sort of relieve themselves of burdens that they otherwise had to keep quite private in the world before the internet. So I think that those kinds of groups are the groups that many of us can turn to and look towards, um, look to for, for inspiration about some of these groups have been functioning for years and functioning at a very large scale. And they have insights and learnings from all of those efforts and practices that we can take into our small communities of coworkers or friends that we're isolated from. Totally. I mean, we have a remote workers Slack channel in Intercom, which up until about a week ago was not particularly busy because only the people who usually worked remotely were in it. Mm. Um, so they've had they've had a severe influx recently of the rest of us. But there are nice things that are coming out of this. I mean, already I've seen some pretty compelling examples online of communities pulling together. I have a group of friends who were meant to have a table quiz in a pub recently. And rather than cancel it all together, um, the person who was hosting it and organizing it did it via Insta Live and yeah. people emailed their answers to her. This was actually on St. Patrick's Day, mm. which obviously is a big social day here in Ireland. And I think there was over 70 teams that took part in the end, Wow, which is pretty amazing. And, you know, to turn something around like that last minute. Have you noticed any similar activity like that that you've been impressed with recently? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure there's so many, it's it's hard to even keep up with them at the moment. But um, I think so many here in the US 
athletic, physical, sport, health communities have been really leading on this. There's like a boxing gym in New York that is now just live streaming all of their classes. Um, A lot of meditation and yoga communities are live streaming their classes. And I'm sure that's happening internationally, but I was so impressed with the speed of that. The other groups that I've been really impressed with are entertainers. So musicians, for example, they're so used to being able to get in front of a crowd and Mm -hmm. have a group of people witness what they're doing live. And Christine in the Queens has been just alone in a studio doing basically private performances for people on Facebook and Instagram to tune into. And Lizzo has been doing these amazing live meditations on her Instagram where she lights incense and plays the flute and everyone is meditating oh. along with her. And in we a way- Lizzo here in Ireland. She's a big deal. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so I think just anything Lizzo does, we can turn to. But I think in, in many ways, you see those performers are actually taking some cues from- another group that's been doing this for a long time, which is Twitch, the online video gaming community. Those those people in many ways are performers. They're playing games live for constituents of people. And I can just see it's really interesting how these musicians are, are basically taking something that they did typically for a group of people in person and saying, I'm just going to record myself and do this live and we're all going to witness it together at once. So sort of, you know, there there's just interesting groups that I think the urgency of the the crowd or the urgency of the groups being able to continue to meet is very important to them. And, and you see those people, I think, immediately taking to the tools that we have today to realize their group shared activity in a new format. And that piece, I think, you know, if this if COVID had happened 10 years ago, seven years ago, so many of these live tools that we have now wouldn't have existed or wouldn't have been able to support this kind of activity. So it's pretty wild to see what people can, in fact, do with technology now. It's so true. And I think what's funny is what we're seeing now is a lot of these SaaS tools Mm. that have been developed for a business audience are suddenly, you know, people's grannies are going, what's Mm. a Zoom? Can I join in? And, you know, it's lovely to see in many respects, it's kind of democratizing all of this software for people. Yeah. So when we talk to community leaders, people who are organizing a group of any kind, There's three questions that I think are really important for those leaders to ask themselves right now in this moment. One is we we feel like one of the most important things that you can do as a leader is to understand what your group is coming to you for or is coming to one another for. Is it guidance? Is it emotional support? Is it inspiration? Is it fun? And in this moment, some of those needs may shift slightly. More people may need things like emotional support that before it was an entirely nerd, nerding out community or an activist community. And so I think as a leader, one of the things I want everyone to ask themselves who's thinking about this is how have the needs of my people changed? And then from there, I think it's really important to reconsider what we've been talking about is these shared activities, the things that your community comes together for. Do you need to change those given you can't meet in person anymore? And how should you change those given what people need right now? And I think that's where Lizzo has really hit it, hit a nail on the head is she, by doing these meditations, she's playing music 
but she's also guiding people through meditation in a moment where there's a lot of anxiety. So she's kind of shifted what she's offering people to serve the moment in time. And I'm, I'm trying to think about how I think we can all get smarter about how these shared activities can be more and more meaningful given this constraint of physical distance from each other. And the provocation I have for people is how can we make those shared activities participatory so that the person on the other end isn't just watching the musician mm-hmm. or just, you know, kind of listening to someone do a lecture, but they're able in their homes to add value, to contribute. And those pieces are the things that I get really excited about. So for example, one of my favorite longstanding YouTube channels is a woman who is one of the most popular people teaching ukulele online. She's a Hawaiian woman and she does a lot of breaking songs down and playing those songs sort of for an audience of learners. And every once in a while, she does uh, sing-alongs and play-alongs. So people live stream in and play the songs with her that she's taught them live. And I think that that piece of not just broadcasting at people or publishing at people, but actually thinking about enabling creativity or participation for folks at home is the holy grail that I get really excited about because I think those forms of of uh, participatory activities are just much more meaningful and much more resonant and powerful and much more needed right now. So that's the piece that I would love to hear more from the listeners as well from what they've seen that's worked really well. But it's it's on all of us, I think, to elevate the creativity and the dynamicness of these activities that we facilitate while we're all stuck at home. Well, it's funny you should say that because one thing I have noticed with any of those streamed gigs or activities And I'd actually liken it to radio in a way, because when you're interacting with the uh, musician or performer or whoever it is, you can't see the rest of the crowd. So you don't know actually that there are potentially thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people taking part. It feels big, but also it feels more intimate in a way. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that... that even you know, with radio, I'm sure you've experienced this, the feeling of having someone directly in your ear talking to mm. you is so personal. It, it's experienced so personally. And I think that's true also in some ways of when you tune into Lizzo's live meditation on Instagram, it, you're looking at Lizzo on your phone as if she's playing directly to you. Exactly. And I, I think that interface, that Instagram live interface is doing so well right now because they do an excellent job of balancing that sense of intimacy and the personalization of that content as if someone is singing right to you and just in the corner, a little animation of someone liking it or leaving a comment and you see the liveliness of the audience and the fact that other people are there in that moment with you combined with the personal delivery of it. So I think that I'm really curious to see not just how people um, use the tools, but how these tools change or how new ones are built over the next few months. Because I think very quickly with so many people pressure testing these tools for different things that we would have done in person, there are gaps and there are sort of opportunities for improvement. And I'm really excited about the focus on these tools and the focus on trying to advance them because we live in a digital world. And if we can take some of these things that are 
designed for business and realize actually the full human being is using them, mm-hmm. I think we can, you know, move into the future in a healthier way with one another. Totally agree. But in more practical terms then, with the wealth of experience that you and the team at People and Company have in this area, consulting with businesses maybe that need to look at building community, what are some of the more practical tips or insights that you would have for companies or teams or even individuals who might now be needing to rely on fostering an online community more? Yeah, absolutely. So the the we're actually giving a training tonight to a global activist network that has chapters all around the country that push forward protective measures for our, our oceans and water so they're the folks in the united states that have been behind the plastic bag bans that have happened here and as we train they're going to dial in across the country their chapter leaders so the folks that run local chapters and the message that we're going to deliver them to them, I'll give to you now, which is, number one, reconsider what your people need from you right now. Uh, what, what, given the state of the world, um, are they coming to you for and has that changed? Then from there, think about these shared activities, things that you may have done in person and try to design for those in an online capacity. The three things that we say make a great shared activity are number one, it serves the group of people that are in your community. It really, in its little nuances and details, reflects the, the who and the why of your community. And it's participatory. You're not just talking at people. The members contribute. And it's repeatable. It's something you can do over and over again. You can sort of open the door and welcome people once a week, once a month. So thinking about your shared activities, what you normally do together in person, and how you can take those shared activities into an online space. And then the second thing I'll say is, you know, the secret to growing a community isn't managing a community, it's creating leaders. The act of community building is a collaborative act. We say you build with people, not for them. And so one thing to consider, I think, in this time is, you know, how are you giving other people within the community uh, power, autonomy, ownership? How are you asking them to contribute or lead outside of what was expected to you before we moved into this world of primarily online interaction. Do you need new leaders to to rise up? What are those roles? Do you need your current leaders? Do you need to ask them to do something new? So thinking about how you bring other people in your community into the act of organizing themselves and what those asks are, given that we're now in a more online space, a more online dominant world. So those three things of just reconsider what is it that people are going to come to you for in this moment in time. Number two, how do you think about your shared activities given we have an online constraint? How do you take the things that you normally do together and create a repeatable drumbeat of those things online? And number three, how can you lean into people in your community, collaborate with them to help uh, make this moment in time meaningful and rich? What can other people help you with? That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure there's a lot in there that will be really, really useful to people at this moment in time and beyond it, no less. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, Bailey, thank you so much for catching up with us again today. As always, it's a pleasure chatting to you and hope to do so again. Thank you, Dee. Always a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed our updated chat with Bailey. We'll be back next week with a very special panel episode for you. 
At Intercom, we've always optimised for face-to-face working as much as possible. So the move to working from home currently presents some new challenges for us as an organisation. And we know that's the same for a lot of our audience. So we've brought together three of our most experienced remote people for a roundtable discussion, hosted remotely of course, to talk through what they've learned and how to operate at your best while on your own. It's a great discussion and really useful, so we hope you'll join us then. This is Inside Intercom.